0: Happy New Year, everyone. We're back. Welcome to College Golf Talk. We are ready to roll in 2020. Steve Burkowski, Brentley Romine with you. And, Brentley, the spring season is already underway. NCAA championships coming up at the end of May. You know what? You're going to blink your eyes, and it's going to be the run for the postseason. We'll have you covered as the men and women all gear up for a run to Greyhawk at the end of this season. But a couple of events already in the books. Arizona picking up a win, Pepperdine picking up a win, and the Waves, a team I think we are both pretty high on. You were out there in California watching.
2: What are some of the takeaways from the Southwestern Invitational? Well, one, Sahith uh, Tagal is one of the best players in the entire country. He proved that again. He's won, if you include the Australian Master of the Amateur victory during the winter break, he's won three of his last four events. But I think the real strength of this team is depth. They had two guys who played as individuals who finished in the top ten. William Mao, who I believe is the front runner for the Phil, Phil Mokleson Award for the Freshman of the Year, and Dylan, Dylan Minate, also um, another really talented, talented young player. But then you add a Nevada transfer, Joey Rich. He finished T6. One cool stat from the Southwestern, Virco is that if Pepperdine fielded a second team of just individuals, they would have finished fourth. So, and they would have beat the reigning national champion Stanford Cardinal, BYU, a top ten team in the fall. So, yeah, I mean things are looking really good in uh, Malibu right now.
0: Yeah, Michael Beard, the head coach there for the Waves, you'll see this every five, six, seven years that a group, maybe a little bit under the radar year in and year out, puts together this collection. Thigala was out last year, redshirted because of an injury. He's back and. I thought it was pretty cool. I saw what you had posted and what he did on Twitter of finishing up in the Kobe Bryant jersey, obviously the tragedy of the nine lives that were lost in the helicopter crash. How much did that mean to him to be able to have that jersey in his bag knowing
2: that that was the plan on the 18th green? Yeah, so I was actually sitting next to him during breakfast and he was kind of debating when he was going to do it. He's like, I don't know if I should do it on the first tee. He thought about doing it on hole number eight, but that's a 220-plus yard par three over water. And uh, Coach Beard and you know really saw it himself. That was his his decision to not do that on that hole. That would have been really cool, but uh, ultimately he decided to keep the jersey in his bag. I think he even had a buddy wear it for most of the round. And then after he hit his approach shot to about you know 18, 20 feet on 18, he puts it on, goes up two putts. And it was kind of funny afterwards. He's like, you know, I'm just glad I didn't three-putt with the jersey (laughs) on because that would have been terrible. But, yeah, I mean, this is a kid that grew up in uh, Chino Hills. His dad used to take him to games. He used to watch games. He used to cry when the Lakers would lose, when Kobe wouldn't play well. Like, Kobe was, like, his icon. And that's the same for millions of people around the world, really. So to see him get kind of choked up, you know that you know Kobe really meant a lot to him, and I think it was also surreal. He lives less than a mile, about a half mile away. His apartment is about a half mile away from where the helicopter crashed. So just a really surreal week, and it was really cool to see him. You know, top it off with a with a victory like that. Yeah, we've seen so many moving tributes uh, to Kobe Bryant, and obviously transcends
0: more than just the sport of basketball. So many. Young players, men, women, any sport, any faction of what they like to chase, uh, you know, in their future uh, endeavors. Uh, there's some type of a connection or storyline, so really cool to see Thagala do that. We're going to take a look at some storylines, some ideas as the spring season's underway. And I know before we got rolling here, the transfer portal has intrigued you Uh as this whole dynamic in all of college sports, it, it seems like the express lane at Publix. Well, I got—I'm yeah. just going to go far left, and I'm going to see how <laughs> quickly I can get in and get out.
2: Yeah, it, it's kind of like the Wild Wild West. Uh, one uh, another coach I talked to compared it to eBay, basically. And I was able to get a sneak peek inside this transfer portal, and it's—it's it's pretty uh, cumbersome. You know, it's—it doesn't look too pretty. It's very old school. Kind of looks like a a list of automobile VIN numbers. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things that, for me, I'm, I'm for transfers because even though people will gripe about, well, back in, you know, my day, we had to stick with our initial decision and stuff. Well, it's not right to keep a, a kid, you know, someplace that he doesn't want to be. And so as long as you're not transferring to three or four schools, like, you know we saw Grayson Murray do when he was in college I think a one-time transfer is good but the new rule that prohibits a guy from playing right away I think that has an adverse effect on the teams that lose the players because you look at a team like USC with Charlie Ryder transferring to San Diego they only got seven guys on the roster now so now Chris Ambry's in a bind because you know what happens if someone gets hurt you know yeah, I'm I'm old school. Fulfill your obligation, and I get it. Sometimes it's not
0: the fit that you once thought it would be when you committed and signed your national letter of intent. But um, you know, it's always football or basketball that you see the big names. If it's Jalen Hurts or Justin Fields, of these are the headliners in, in the transfer portal. Um, we'll have to see. I think the sample size is too small in, in, in college golf and all of college sports for that matter. But uh, I think it's such an easy way out to say well no this didn't work so i'm just going to go there mm-hmm. so maybe the 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 lack of immediate entry to another school will make um, some of these young student athletes think a little bit because you were telling me you can just
2: go in and fire your name up there and, and see <laughs> who the highest bidder is yeah it's it's funny because and i i don't know if this is a hundred percent accurate but one coach told me that even if you're just a normal student, you can put your name in the transfer portal. And so you have basically have to weed out all these John Smiths to, to find, you know, it, it, I, I was joking too. I'm like, you're just scrolling through it. All of a sudden you see like hammer coal and you're like, you know, just clicking on the button to, re, to bid really fast. But yeah, I mean, talking about how uh, it, it may, you know, prohibit or de, uh, deter a, a kid from, from transferring. Well, most oftentimes, when you're transferring, you're not playing a lot, anyways. So what's the what's the big deal that you got to sit out a semester or a full year? I think it r- really hurts the teams because, like I said, they're they're now shorthanded. And Alabama was lucky because they lose Prescott Butler, they bring in David Morgan from Virginia. He's got to sit out, but they also bring in an early enrollee and Cannon Claycomb, who's going to make their team instantly better. So. It's just all about if you guys got if you got guys coming in uh, as we talked about Q series on the last pod. It's kind of a similar thing in that all of a sudden you're kind of SOL, you know.
0: Yeah, we'll have to see uh, you know in the coming months and years ahead truly how this takes shape and form and if those numbers grow of players heading into the transfer portal. Also, uh, news coming over the holidays and early this year that the ACC their conference championships for both the men and women are going to change. It's going to be a facsimile of what you would see at the NCAA championship. Stroke play into match play to determine the champion. We've seen it with the SEC. We've seen other conferences, a couple of smaller ones, making these changes. What's your immediate reaction to the big-picture idea of,
2: well, this is how we need to get ready for something that's even more important one month later? Yeah, I've always said that I'm surprised that more conferences haven't gotten on board i think on the men's side we have what five now that that do it and on the women's it's only two i believe so you know it's one of those things where the big 12 when they created their match play championship in the fall i kind of liked that because it gave you almost two separate championships kind of like track and field you have indoor and outdoor tennis you may i'm i could be wrong on this but you know tennis it seems like you'd have a different types of surfaces or whatever but uh yeah, I I like it. I think it's interesting that they only did four teams advancing to the match play bracket. The SEC does eight, and I think that's really cool. But at the same time, I mean, not that the ACC is worried about their automatic qualifier being their best team because they're going to get four, five, six teams in regionals if not more, anyways. But um, you know, I, I'm I'm surprised they didn't do more. But who knows? I mean, I'll I'll have to see how it shakes out and. Could fine-tune it. Could be a work in progress that they would maybe yeah. switch it You know, a year or two from now to yeah, include to me, more teams. To me, it's kind of risky, though, because what happens on the women's side if you know you, you don't get Duke or you don't get Wake Forest in that top four? Yeah, it'll be
0: interesting, but it is changing, and it's uh, all geared to the national championships. A couple of hot topics we'll throw out there on the men's side. Who's the king of the Big 12? Oklahoma, Texas, Texas. Texas Tech, all three teams up there in the top five or six of the rankings. Uh, can't leave Baylor out there. Yeah, (laughs) that's (laughs) what I'm saying. There's a lot of it, and we haven't even mentioned Oklahoma State. But right now, at this point of 2020, who do you think the best team in the Big 12 is?
2: Right now, I think Texas Tech is the best team because I believe they have the best player right now in the Big 12, and that's Sandy Scott. Um, Potential-wise, you could, you could argue Colehammer, you could argue as a team Texas but based on what they did winning their first three events of the fall going five and0 at the big 12 match play, really got some you know surprise performances out of out of Kyle Hogan uh, Ludwig uh, Eberg their stud freshman that came in he's acclimated pretty well but I look for him to get a lot better. But you just have to go with Texas Tech because I think even though Oklahoma finishes the fall as the golf set's number one team, Texas Tech, to me, brought it more often and more consistently.
0: Oklahoma State, how does the spring play out for Allen Bratton and the Cowboys? Well,
2: the good news is they're young. They have a lot of freshmen, so you anticipate them getting better. Some growth. And, and I thought what they did at
0: Eastlake was impressive to me. I know their standards are very high in Stillwater, but... For what they spoiled us with the past two seasons, you have to wonder how quickly this team will mature, grow, as Alan Bratton had told me, and you just hit on it. They're young and they're talented, and everyone in the country wanted these newcomers and fresh faces, but Victor's gone and Matthew's gone Mm. and and Ventura. I mean, it's a different landscape. How do you think they can get back to the point of at least contending – at NCAs, not even winning. I mean, I think it might be a challenge for them to get.
2: Oh yeah, to Greyhawk. So I think the ceiling for them this year is is making it to the NCAA championship, and I think they they would agree because they have so much unproven talent. But three things have to happen for them to be kind of a, a lock to make the final thirty. Rayhan Thomas has to has to play like Rayhan Thomas did when he was sixteen. Brian Stark, a freshman, who impressed me in the fall has to get a little better but Austin Eckroat finished the fall ranked 79th he needs to be a top five player for them to go anywhere and he he's played well but 79th is not where Austin Eckroat should should be right now he's the known
0: commodity for the Cowboys, so to your
2: point, And their best player.
0: Yeah, yeah, he needs to step up in the spring. Uh, before we wrap up uh, some men's storylines kicking off the new year, give me a team, a player, somebody maybe a little off the radar
2: we should keep an eye on. So I really like this kid at Kansas, a freshman, Luke Kluver. He's ranked 77th right now, but he's a guy that has a ton of talent, and it was interesting that, he ended up at Kansas in the first place. I think a lot of coaches were maybe a little late on board. I think he committed a little bit early and, you know, stuck to his commitment, ended up at Kansas. So he's a guy that could track down a, a William Mao, could could track down some of the top freshmen to contend for the Phil Mickelson Award. As for a team, I was going to say BYU, but then, you know, I, didn't I see have them the best finish tied for eighth out of 12 teams at the Southwestern. But, I still think they're the real deal. Peter Quest is a really good player. He didn't play that well at North Ranch, but they have a ton of talent. Rhett Rasmussen, a good coach, uh, and and Brock. And, you know, uh, there's there's a lot of good candidates, though. We'd be remiss to not point out the job that Christian Newton's doing at Colorado State. They're a top 10 team right now.
0: And how about Notre Dame? They won four times in the fall, that's the best in the history. Of that program they took care of that in the fall season be curious to see if the fighting irish can continue the success they had in the first part of the season here in the spring in 2020 speaking of the fighting irish thrilled to have their head coach john handrigan joining us after that great fall season and john let's go back to july 7 2017 that was the day you were named head coach of the university of notre dame men's golf program that's less than three years ago. How have you been able to transform this team into a top 10 squad and what you guys did in the last fall that is record setting for any team that's ever come through South Bend?
1: Yeah, thanks very much. We had an amazing fall. It's the best we've ever done here at, at, at Notre Dame and being ranked in the top ten in the country, um, is beyond our, our dreams and, and goals here at Notre Dame. But, uh, we uh, we've done a lot of changes here. Um, we have a great group of guys that we've developed. Um, that weren't you know some weren't my players in the, the first couple of years, and recruited some new players. We've set some uh, some new goals and set a you know a little bit of a higher bar and some new standards for our players. Um, changed uh, what we do every day uh, at practice and. Uh, continue to excel and uh, we've had a, a great fall and looking forward to having more of that this spring
0: what's the biggest challenge you face as a head coach to get these guys some of them are yours some of them aren't to believe in that one special thing that a group can achieve
1: yeah it's uh, all the guys need to buy in you know and, and we change the culture here of, of what the expect expectations are for notre dame golf and uh and they all have to believe in that work ethic and that commitment to our program. And and kudos to the guys on the team. We we as coaches ask a lot and demand a lot for our Notre Dame players. And they've, they've kind of answered the bell, so to speak, and, and done everything that we've asked them to do and bought into the culture that we've created. Um, and it's great for them to see some results. Um, and for the, the players that, you know, didn't have the best experiences, you know, their first couple years at Notre Dame that are now seniors and seeing how much the program has improved over the course of their their time here. It's uh, very rewarding for me and uh, great to have Notre Dame golf back on the map.
2: John, you uh, talked about the seniors and obviously when you arrive at a new program you can't really do it without the support of those upperclassmen. Can you talk more specifically about what Hunter Ostrom has done, what Davis Chatfield has done um, to get this team to where it is right now?
1: Yeah, we have three seniors on the team, and, and all three of them have done a great job with our program. Um, but, uh, you, you know, when, we, when I first started here, a big part of the culture at Notre Dame is that, you know, you don't cut players, um, but you learn to make players better. And, uh, and that was part of the draw for me to Notre Dame, that uh, they respect their student-athletes. And when I came in here, that's the first thing a lot of coaches do. Come in and remove players and bring in their own, and that uh, that wasn't a possibility for me, and uh, and I'm happy that wasn't because what we learned to do was develop the current players that we have, and you can see how much they've improved uh, in their years here. Um, if you talk about Hunter right off the bat, you know he had a phenomenal summer uh, in between his junior and senior year, won several events, and then came in here in the fall and uh, was leading our team, and uh, you know he came in second in his first two tournaments, losing by one in each one, but. He played some excellent golf, Um, and then Davis Lamb and John Polito have done the same thing as far as leading our team, Um, and it's not just me when you change a culture and change an attitude on the program. It it stems from your leaders and your seniors, and those guys have done an excellent job, and and, uh, I owe a lot of our uh, success to them.
0: After six years at the University of Florida as an assistant and associate head coach under J.C. Deacon, What did you learn from that time and experiences in Gainesville, Florida that you've maybe implemented uh, to your time now uh, two-and-a-half years in at Notre Dame?
1: Well, I was fortunate to work with Buddy and JC at Florida, and Buddy Alexander, who was there for a long time and arguably one of the best golf coaches in college golf, and uh, they're quite a bit different in their coaching styles. So I was fortunate to learn, um, I guess – you know some of the the harder ways, I guess, through through Buddy and the, and the tougher ways, and then J C was a lot more of a, a player's coach, I would say. So I got to learn both ends of the of the spectrum, and and I guess my system is more of a, a hybrid system between those two. But two excellent coaches, and very fortunate to be at Florida, who's it's always been a you know a powerhouse program in college golf. So I learned quite a bit um, at the highest level, and I uh, was able to take quite a bit of that to here at Notre Dame, and. And with Buddy, I think I learned a lot about uh, just recruiting, and, uh, and it's really helped me at Notre Dame bring in some top players.
0: Yeah, I certainly need to apologize to Stuart Murray Alexander. <laughs> I don't want to slight his uh, tail end run in Gainesville, as you alluded to, John, one of the best coaches in college golf, so you had the opportunity to learn from two of the best. Now moving ahead. It's 2020. You guys had a great fall. How do you continue to build off that success?
1: um we uh we just set new goals uh for the spring season um the best part about this team is they're not content with what they've done so far and they want to do more in the spring um so we've uh, kind of lit that fire a little bit more to prepare for that spring season so we uh we don't uh, settle for what we've done in the fall and, and we've kind of closed the door on the fall and uh, said this is what we're going to do this spring and the guys are extremely motivated uh, we've got a lot of trips coming up um it's A little bit cold right now here in South Bend, so we're taking a lot of trips down south. Uh, Our first one is uh, we went to Augusta National, actually our first one two weeks ago, and then we're going down to uh, West Palm Beach this weekend. So we're working hard to get ready for our first tournament here coming up in a few weeks in Puerto Rico.
2: Earlier on this podcast, Berko and I talked about the ACC championship moving to match play. What are your thoughts on that, and have you guys been uh, ramping up the uh, head-to-head competitions at home?
1: Yeah, we're doing a lot of match play competitions now. Um, when we're not qualifying, we're doing uh, a lot of head to head, preparing the guys for it. Um, they do quite a bit of it in the summertime, so I do think that they're they're more prepared for NCAA's and now ATC going to match play. Um, I think it's great for our conference. Um, you know, we we have quite a few teams each year that make it to the nationals, and you know to be crowned a national championship, you have to go through match play in the national tournament. So we might as well get ready for that at ACCs and, uh, and also I think it's great because now there's a cut at ACCs with only four teams making it to match play, and uh, like you have at regionals and then nationals, you know, you have a cut to, uh, to get in that final eight, so I think it's great to, to put a little extra pressure coming down the stretch on our, our young players to get them ready for that next level.
0: Why do you think your team can contend and will contend come the postseason?
1: They love to win. And uh, that's one of our goals, and everything we do, day to day practice, any competition we have, they strive to win day in and day out. It proved uh, we proved that in the fall, you know, winning four or five events, never been done here at Notre Dame, and uh, it shows that our guys love to compete and win. And, and every day at practice, we're competing towards that. So I think their their passion and drive to excel and win and prove that you know, it wasn't, uh, wasn't luck in our first win, et cetera, but we continue to do that all fall and they want to have that, uh, they got that same passion for the spring.
0: What do you think the biggest obstacle is in taking that next step?
1: I think uh, there's a lot of parity in college golf and there's a lot of great teams this year. I don't think there's many teams that are above everybody else. I think there's a big group of teams that, that are very competitive within each other. So, uh, I think it's, uh, it's I think it's tough to win. You know, not you know, each week it's tough to win at any college tournament, but never mind when you get into ACCs regionals and nationals. It's just a lot of parity, a lot of great teams out there, and uh, you have to be firing on all cylinders uh, at the right time.
0: John, you just talked about the cold weather. You know, this time of the year in South Bend, Indiana, how much do you look at what Mike Small has built? accomplished, and continues to grow on with the success he's had at Illinois. Everyone says cold-weather schools, they'll never contend for a national title, they'll never win, yet we're now seeing, as you alluded to, the parity. How much do you look at Mike Small as maybe that example that you can win at a place where there might be snow on the ground for four or five months a year?
1: Yeah, I I, uh, talked to Mike when I was first looking into this position at Notre Dame, and and really, he's a mentor, I think, for a lot of us coaches. He's done a phenomenal job. And, uh, and I asked them a lot of these questions about, you know, why has he been successful? What does he do differently? Is he concerned about being a Northern program? Um, a lot of things that came to my mind as well to making sure that when you go to a program, you want to be successful and how are you going to be able to accomplish that. So Mike has uh, really helped me out quite a bit on how he, he does things. And, uh, and I was able to uh, utilize some of those. But the best thing that I think we have at Notre Dame is our brand and network of people. And uh, we travel every single weekend in the spring to some different location to either practice or play in a tournament. So we, uh, we realize that the importance of playing a lot of golf to be successful, you've got to be out there playing. You can't be you know, inside hitting balls. So you know, every Thursday evening, we hop on a plane and go somewhere down south and play golf Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, so we're playing a minimum of three or four rounds per week to get us ready for that, uh, our spring season. So I think there's a lot of hurdles at, at most Northern programs, but we're fortunate at Notre Dame that we've got a great uh, group of alums and, and benefactors that, uh, that want to help us out and make sure we, uh, we re- reach our goals.
2: You played professionally on the Canadian Tour and the Great Lakes Tour. What lit the fire in you to want to be a college golf coach?
1: Well, unfortunately my career was pretty short in professional golf, so, uh, it didn't last very long, but, uh, I was just very competitive, loved the game of golf, um, loved coaching, uh, young men and, uh, and hopefully accomplishing and achieving their goals in the future. And that was just kind of led my, my desire and, and, and passion for the game. And, uh, I just didn't want to be a club pro and I wanted to stay competitive and this kind of kept the juices flowing, I guess.
0: Well, you've done a great job of it so far, John. Congratulations once again to you and your team for the success of the fall. All the best in this upcoming spring season, and most importantly, we appreciate you spending uh, some time with us today on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks, guys. Enjoyed it, and you guys have a great day.
0: Thanks, John. You too. See you, John. Again, our thanks to John Hanrigan, head coach, Notre Dame men's golf team. Be really, really curious to see if they can continue uh, what they did in the fall in the spring, but A top 10 squad right now. They've won four times. A program best. Going to be interesting. One of the many uh, teams we will keep an eye on in the upcoming months as we sort of segue over to the women. And some of the top storylines we've got our eye on right now, or shall we say eyes, since there's a couple of us and we both have two eyes. (laughs) That would make sense. We're all one. Yes, we are. We talked in the last podcast, end of 2019, the exodus of these women going to the Q Series, turning professional, five went. 5 turned professional i'll leave my thoughts in 2019 of how much i am not a fan of this
2: we don't want to run that back
0: no but it's reality <laughs> this is where it's going and let's look at stanford they were hit the hardest albin valenzuela andrea lee they both turned professional and they they are gone what do you think you can expect from ann walker the head coach in her squad now when you consider the fact they've lost Two of the top six or eight players in the country,
2: or you could even argue t- the top two. Yeah, um, they're they're not going to be as good. I think there's no way around that. But this is a team that still has the talent on its roster to make match play again. Really? And you think they? Yeah. There's I, enough there. So so Angelina Ye is the best player in college golf right now. She's I believe she's ranked second, but Jennifer Chang from USC. Actually, no. Angelina Ye is ranked third, but the two players ahead of her, Sarah Brooks from Florida, Jennifer Chain, they're gone. So, right now, she's the top player in college golf. Aline Crowder had a top 50 fall. She's another really strong player. And then you got to look a little bit further down a, a freshman like Brooke Say, who had an unbelie- unbelievable junior year or junior career. And the, the the potential is there. Now, are they going to make match play? I don't know. But they were on the
0: short (laughs) list for me of teams to win it all. I think Ann Walker is, if not the best coach in women's college golf, one of the top two or three. She, in my opinion, just has a very good understanding with good teams, mind you, of how to navigate the whole match play scenario. You still need luck and you've got to have talent. But I feel like she just has her finger on the pulse of that better than many. Remember, this is relatively new for the women, match play going back to 2015, the first year at concession. And, oh, by the way, who won? The Stanford Cardinal. There's a reason. So I'm curious because, to me, that is the biggest question mark. And maybe not that much of a question when you lose Albin and Andrea of – they're two of the greats maybe mm-hmm. the two best to ever come through that program andrea's got more wins than anyone else and albin was just rock solid every time out
2: and it's a very real thing in college golf the great teams year year in and year out have that reliable one or top two players that you can count on and it's so crazy to think that oh well, i'm just you know, if they have five solid players, they should be just as good, right? Or close to it. It's a whole different animal when you don't have that consistent score that those other players can go out and rely on. Because you, if Andrea Lee and Albin if they're you know shooting sixty eight, sixty nine, seventy, those other players are freed up. And mm-hmm. that's something that's I think is not talked about nearly as much. Now these newcomers, although talented uh oh, I better go
0: shoot seventy or seventy one because or shut up. Yeah. though that six under from those two isn't gonna be there anymore. You just mentioned Jennifer Chang from Southern Cal. She turned professional, head coach Justin Silverstein in his second year, still has a
2: great lineup. But but how good is this group, in your opinion? Yeah, this is the one team out of the five players that left early, this is the one team that's gonna be just fine. Because they were six seven deep anyways. Allison Corpa's the the lone senior on this team. She kind of had a down year last year by her standards and comparatively to the other girls who were making the the lineup. But she had a great fall. She's a top ten player. Alea Abdulgani, a junior, another leader for this team, uh, won the Australian Women's Master of the Amateurs. So there's a there's a lot of talent, and they had a great fall, and that was with Gabby Ruffles probably playing the worst golf on the team so the u.s women's amateur champ she's going to get better there's there's always that pressure that comes with winning a big event like that the expectations are so much higher and i think she's finally moved past that and she's going to really have a breakout spring texas number one in the country won three times in the fall how far can
0: they go especially considering the disappointment at the blessings last year at the ncaa's uh Winning stroke play portion,
2: they ran and into Auburn.
0: Ball- I mean, they're they're rough shot over Auburn, and then lo and behold, two hours later, Longhorns are going home.
2: Yeah, it, th- this is a team that somehow just continues to fly under the radar. I don't know why that is. They were they were the only team last season with three first team All Americans, and I I think that's a good place to be is to be overlooked to be to have that chip on your shoulder to not have all eyes on you that's a that's going to be an advantage for Ryan Murphy's squad and we we already know about Caitlin Papp we already know about Emily Hoffman Haley Cooper Sophie goes a freshman that is already arguably the second best if not the best player on the team certainly she played that way in the fall so there's a there's a wealth of talent here and again, you know, as long as they don't trip up in match play, I think that's the only hurdle because they're they're going to get to match play.
0: Wake Forest Jennifer Cup Show is gone. The Demon Deacons didn't miss a beat in the fall. They won three times, including the East Lake Cup. How motivated do you think this group is after losing in the finals of the NCAs to Duke a year ago?
2: Yeah, I think they're I think they're motivated because of that, and I think they're also motivated to prove that this isn't just Jennifer Cup Show's or wasn't just Jennifer Cupcho's team. Emilia Emiliaccio, Swing Lou, even freshman Rachel Keene, they, they're all great players and they want to be able to prove that. So I think it's not even so much as, hey, we want to avenge our, our loss in the final last year, but we want to show that we're good players too. Like this wasn't just all Jennifer, even though she had, she played a huge role in that entire program. There's a lot of talent still left and I expect them to be if not back in the final, at least back in the semis. Kent
0: State, a team that year after year now, this shouldn't be a surprise, Greg Robertson, then the head coach, went back to his alma mater at Oklahoma State. Lisa Strom has jumped in, leading the reins for the Golden Flashes. How legitimate do you think they are? They lost to a grand total a single team beat them
2: in the fall that was Texas at the Betsy Rawls how good do you think Kent State really is and they played a really good schedule too so a lot of times we see some of these teams in the fall play kind of a weak schedule They get their ranking gets inflated and we call them pretenders but Kent State is not a pretender and going back to what I talked about having the studs at the top of the lineup they have two seniors at number one and number two uh, Pimnipa Panthong and Caroline Stormo when you have that kind of talent at the top, all you need is one or two other decent, reasonably scores. good
0: scores. It goes back to the point you made of Stanford. When you had Albin and Andrea, you just knew you needed, what you yeah. were getting from them. Yeah. You so just a similar need comparison, one more
2: player or two more players, and you can afford to kind of have a weak fifth player. But so Kent State's going to be there. They didn't make match play last year, and that ended, I believe, was a three-year run or a two-year run in a match play two yeah, years
0: to at least two out of three I mean they were no longer a surprise when you saw them yeah but
2: there. they're they're still going to have their work cut out for them at the NCAA championship because you look at a conference like the SEC a lot of teams that were that have been down in recent years are back up a team like LSU um, and then a team like South Carolina that's quickly become one of the best teams in the country and a national title contender. There's a lot of new faces to challenge the USC's and Stanford. So there's going to be a huge group. It's going to be really crowded, and it's going to be a fight to uh, that final eight. Throw me a name or a team that we didn't discuss on the ladies' side that uh, intrigues you as this spring season unfolds. I'm going to throw you a name. I'm going to throw you who I think is going to be the freshman of the year and possibly the player of the year, and that's Lynn Grant from Arizona State. We talk about teams that are back. Arizona State is back. They're really good. And that was with Olivia Mahaffey probably being the fifth best player on the team in the fall. She's still getting over a a wrist injury that she suffered during the summer. But Lynn Grant, she's from Sweden. She has – just crazy game talent wise i believe she's the best player in college golf and women's college golf and we're going to start to see more of that she didn't finish worse than t17 or t18 so she finished top 20 all her events she was right around the top 10 just a consistent round in and round out player that going to blow up this spring so so keep an eye on on Lynn Grant
0: those are some of the stories for both the men and the women and players and teams and of course there are going to be others that develop that's why you need to continue to follow along on the college golf talk podcast throughout the course of the spring season and then coming up here in the next few days and weeks the Northrop Grumman and Palos Verdes one of the best tournaments for the women Mm -hmm. all spring season a demanding course and then some of the best uh, on the men's side, they'll head out to Hawaii, the Waikaloa.
2: Yeah, the Armorari, and then you follow in March with Cabo and Southern Highlands. Later in the month, Valspar um, down in Palm City at, at the Floridian. And, of course, the Western Intercollegiate, which is going to be on Golf Channel, always brings a stacked field. And this spring is just really good, Berko. It seems like every week there's two or three tournaments that you look at the fields and you're just your jaw dropped it's just like wow like this is like an ncaa preview
0: yeah the i've always said in the 20 plus years of covering college golf the fall is like the appetizer it's the shrimp cocktail so to get settled in but now the spring it gets serious what lineups will take shape who are the five you can rely on gonna be a whole lot of fun to watch we appreciate it as always for brentley i am burko we will see you next time on the college golf talk podcast